philosophy. I've come prepared to be a blessing and a challenge at the same time, but I need to put this disclaimer out while you go to the Gospel of John chapter 3. You've never heard me preach. I don't think you have. I think you saw a video of me last year that I sent in. But uh, I'm a very enthusiastic preacher. And I don't apologize for it. It's the way God wired me. Uh, but I don't want my enthusiasm to offend you. Now, it seems like we can get enthusiastic about our favorite sports team. Let's see, the Green Bay Packers would be one. But, uh, but it seems like we don't get excited about the things of the Lord anymore. And so I, I don't want you to be offended at my enthusiasm. So if it does offend you, don't pay attention to me. Pay attention to the Word of God. I want to begin reading in the Gospel of John uh, chapter 3 at verse 14. We'll only read a few verses. Would you accommodate me and stand for the reading of God's Word? That may not be your custom. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we have to stand for the reading of God's Word. But I work with primitive people who don't understand the importance of this book, and it makes me feel at home when people are standing for the reading of God's Word. Je Gospel of John chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. I'll read aloud as you follow in silence this morning. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that we've experienced this morning. Thank you for the uh, picture postcard uh, weather outside, Lord. It's beautiful. I know that sometimes it can be dangerous, but... Coming from Florida, it was a blessing to see it, Lord. Thank you for safety and travel and getting here and pastor picking me up and thank you for the wonderful accommodations. But you know what we've already talked about, Lord. The purpose that I'm here is to glorify you, but to be a help to your people. To express that which is from your heart, world evangelism and reaching the lost with the gospel. May we, fathers, the church of the living God, Realize what's closest to your heart. Why your son came to see the lost saved locally and abroad simultaneously according to your word. Now, Father, I ask that you hide me behind the cross. I don't want people to see nor remember Walter Stevens. I want them to listen to you and remember you in your word. Thank you for the pastor who has lent me this pulpit. As I stand behind the sacred desk, I know it doesn't belong to me. And I pray, Lord, that I would honor and compliment that which already comes from this place. Now, Father, if there's someone here who's lost, who doesn't know Jesus, I pray today that they would be saved. Someone who's cold and just going through the motions of their faith, I pray that you draw them unto yourself with cords of love. I pray that you encourage the discouraged, Lord. I pray that you would call into ministry. But most important of all, Father, I pray that we would glorify you and your Son, the Lord Jesus, for it's in his name we do pray with thanksgiving. And all God's people said, amen. And you may be seated. The title of the message this morning is The Heart of Missions. John chapter 3, very familiar 
passages of Scripture. There are probably many in this room that could quote verses from the Gospel of John chapter 3. But in this chapter, we see that very historical confrontation between our Lord and a very influential Jewish religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. This is where Jesus said those all important words to this lost and confused seeker. He said, ye must be born again. This meeting changed Nicodemus forever. I truly believe that Nicodemus was saved because in John chapter 19, we see Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus taking the body of the Lord Jesus to prepare for burial, which would have cost them their influence amongst their culture. Maybe you're here today without the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that you find the Savior today. But I want to focus in on one verse. I want to focus in on the 16th verse. Many of you can quote it from memory. And you might say, Brother Stevens, uh, we have matured beyond John 3.16. John 3.16, Brother Stevens, is more for the junior church, not the main auditorium crowd. May I remind you that in this one verse is the very heart and soul of God's Word. This one verse says it all. That's why we have memorized it. That's why we sing it. That's why we've cross-stitched it and hanged it on our walls. We put it on specialty license plates and on t-shirts. We've seen it on hand-painted banners at sporting events. Matter of fact, in 2009, the BCS National Championship game between Florida and Oklahoma, quarterback Tim Tebow wrote 316 in the black under his eyes. It was the most Googled uh, a question ever in the history of Google. It is a practice that has been banned by the NCAA in 2010. Ninety million people Googled that verse that reads John 3.16. Let me give you some interesting facts about that game. Tebow threw for 316 passing yards. John 3.16. Tebow averaged 31.6 yards per completion, highest in NFL postseason history. CBS's Final rating for the game was 31.6, John 3.16. The final uh, game's final time of possession was 31.6. Some have taken this verse and shaved it in their heads. Others have tattooed it onto their biceps. I don't recommend those. What makes this verse so powerful? What makes this verse so popular? What makes this verse so palatable? And what makes this verse so plagiarized? This one verse is so amazing because within this verse is the heart, the mind, and the plan of God concerning the mission of Christ to reach the world with the gospel. That's why contained in this verse is the gospel. It is the message of God. Contained in this verse is evangelism. It is the method of God. Contained in this text is missions. That's the manpower of God. And contained in these words is giving that's the means of God. I want to take a few moments this morning and dissect the 16th verse of the Gospel of John chapter 3. Now, I'm the type of guy, when I see something, I want to know how it works. And many times I'll take things apart just to see how they work and put them back together. Now, that's great as long as you don't have any extra parts when you put it back together. But I, I come to the Word of God with that same approach. 
I like to dissect the Word of God, examine its contents, reassemble it, and then present it to God's people. That's what we're doing this morning. Let's see some thoughts on the 16th verse of the Gospel of John. Number one, in John 3.16, we see the source of missions. It's the very first two words, for God. God is the source of missions, for God is the source of all. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. The plan of missions did not come from the church fathers, but directly from the heart and mind of God himself, for God is the source of missions. Now, when we talk about missions, we're talking about world evangelism. We're talking about the gospel, uh, to take it locally and to take it abroad. According to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where the Bible says, After this you shall receive power, and the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That tells us that we're supposed to reach the lost in our Jerusalem. That would be West Bend. And in your Samaria, that'd be the naming areas. And in and, and and, and all the regions around the world, Simon changed a small word that says both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of you. Simultaneously, we reach our Jerusalem through the local church. But we reach uh, the world through the missions program of the local church. And the church fathers did not invent the mission program. God did. It is God's mandate to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The young children say it at best, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. He died for the lost. And, and the greatest joy that Christ could ever receive is when he sees lost sinners being saved. And so the missions program as our part of the church is the, God is the source of that program. Number two, I want you to see the second thing. I want you to see the stimulus for missions found in John 3.16. It's the next two words. For God so loved. Love is the stimulus behind the missions program. Love is the stimulus behind the cross. What else could flow from the heart of God but God, love itself? If we want a definition of God, First John uh, chapter 4, verse 8 says it best. God is love. You say, well, preacher, we live in very confusing times and sometimes it's hard to comprehend that God is love. That doesn't change the fact that God is love just because we see what is going on. Because we see the greatest act of love on the cross of Calvary. Jesus said this, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The greatest act of love is of a man putting himself in the place of his friend to die for his friend. But watch now, that was more than a man on the cross, that was God himself. And he didn't just die for his friends, he died for his enemies because all of us were enemies at the cross at one time in our life. God died for mankind. He died for the souls for which he loves. Jesus said in John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me. I want you to think about that just for a moment. Can we really comprehend how much God the Father loves his own son, the Lord Jesus? It's incomprehensible. But he didn't stop there. Watch what Jesus says. As the Father hath loved me, watch now, so have I loved you. You say, now hold on there just a minute, preacher. If I can't comprehend how much God the Father loves his own son, how am I supposed to comprehend how much Jesus loves me? Well, we have a picture of that love, don't we? It's called Calvary. When the Son of God was 
beaten and wore a crown of thorns upon his sacred brow when his back was beaten with the Roman cat of nine tails, when he was spit upon, when his beard was pulled, when there was nails in his hands and his feet, and he was crucified on a cruel cross, and he cried at the top of his lungs, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. No greater act of love. But watch now, he didn't stop there in John 15, 9. He said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. We as the children of the Most High God are not only supposed to continue in the love that God the Father has for His Son, but we're supposed to continue in the love that Jesus has for us. And how do we show that love? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples by the great offerings that you give. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples by the sermons that you preach. No. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples by the love that you have one for another. Listen, a lost and confused and dying world, if they don't see love in this place, they'll see it nowhere. Help me, church. The stimulus behind missions is the love of God. Love was the stimulus behind the amazing plan of God to send His Son to die and save the sinners of, of, of lost, vile sinners. 1 John 4.10 Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. A famous man once said, the person you are, the person you have been, the person you will be, God declares, beloved, God loves us. And He loves the lost and dying world. Oh, the unfathomable love of God, it surpasses human understanding. My tongue fails me to describe the amazing love of God. I'll quote a part of a song that I think gives a small fraction of expression of God's love. The words go like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints in angels' song. Oh, to describe the love of God, which is the stimulus behind his plan that his son left the perfection of heaven and the angels that sing for him 24-7, holy, 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 and came and walked on cursed earth and rubbed elbows with sinners, watch now, and was crucified on a cruel cross because of his love for the world. Part of the song that I had just quoted was penciled on the wall of an inmate's room in an insane asylum. You know what that tells me? That though they could not comprehend or understand the realities of life, they could still perceive and receive the love of God. Love should be the mission, the believer stimulus to be involved in worldwide evangelism. Now, I want to be practical here. When we talk about worldwide evangelism, we know that we are approaching, we've surpassed 8 billion people. That's a lot of people to reach, isn't it? Matter of fact, we really cannot fathom. We really can't comprehend 8 billion people. And so I always try to narrow it down so we can get a handle on it. Let's talk about America, 350 million plus. You know what most Christians do? Too many, preacher. It's too much for me. So I try to narrow it down to the state in which I'm preaching. I try to narrow it down to the city in which you live. I try to narrow it down to the street on which you live. Where you pump your gas and where you buy your groceries, we should be soul conscious. 
I saw a preacher in his pocket when he picked me up from the airport. He had some of the tracks from the church, some of the gospel tracks. I said, preacher, I've got tracks, but they're from Florida. They have Florida churches on them. I said, can I have your tracks? And he gave me his tracks, and I'll get some more today. I'm an avid track distributor. I really believe that God's word never returns void because God said so. And so we'll pass out tracks. And, and I, I like, uh, I, we, my wife and I, we travel a lot, and so I eat at a lot of drive throughs and so McDonald's has two, the one where you pay and where you pick up. And so when I get to the window, the first one, I'll say to that young man, that young lady, and I'll say to them, hey, I've got something real important to tell you. And I'll say it with that enthusiasm. And they'll look down at me and say, what, what, what is it? And I'll pull out a gospel track and I said, Jesus loves you and this tells you about it. Yeah, it's amazing the responses I get. Sometimes they'll say, well, Jesus loves you too. Sometimes they'll say, I'm not sure he does. And I'll say, I know he does. And I'll quote John 3.16. I can't stay there long. The guy behind me wants to get his french fries. Or I could jeopardize his or her job. And I'll do it to the next window. We should be conscious of the loss and those who are without Christ and, and the stimulus behind missions. Why we should be involved is because of the love of God. So God so loved the world. I want you to see the third thing. The subject of missions found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. He's not talking about the planet in which we live. He's talking about the inhabitants of that planet. The world's population. It means the inhabitants of this planet. God says in Ezekiel, he says, behold, all souls are mine. And you say, and the Calvinists will say, well, if all souls are God, let's all go home. Some of God's souls have been kidnapped, have they not? I know my gypsy people have been kidnapped. They've been held by the clutches of the devil for centuries, if not millennium. He's the hostage taker. And he holds them hostage. And you say, Brother Stevens, what do you do? Do you go to the hostage taker? No, no, I go to the hostage and what do I tell the hostage? If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we're seeing God's soul set free. Do you know that the soul has no ethnicity? The soul has no skin color. The soul has no economic bracket. And they all belong to God. And God wants His souls to be saved. And that's that's the, the, the subject of missions. It means the souls of 8 billion people. And the statistics tell us that two-thirds of the world's population has not heard a clear-cut presentation of the gospel. Now, I used to be in the business world. I know you can play with numbers. You do whatever you want with that. Two-thirds, one-half, one-third, 25%, whatever the case may be, it's still a lot of people that need to hear the gospel. Here's what happens to the average churchgoer. We have missions conference. We have a parade of the flags. And by the way, it was very beautiful. We'll have an international banquet. We'll have a missionary in. We'll even have a keynote speaker in. And we'll give to missions. And here's what we think the job is getting done. When nothing could be further from the truth. We're not getting the job done. There are billions of billions, and we've heard about it in one of the presentations, about the 1040 window. That place where two-thirds of the world live. The subject of missions is the world. I want you to see the sacrifice for missions in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Love has action. You can't say you love without having something to prove that love. Uh, my wife now will, and I will celebrate four years of marriage this coming August. And uh, she has an office at the flooring store where she runs the family business. And every Monday morning... There are fresh flowers on her desk. 
wherever I am in the world, I will make sure that there are fresh flowers on her desk every Monday morning. Why? Love has action. Love does things. Matter of fact, you can't say you love without doing. The love of God caused him to give his life for lost sinning souls that he wanted to save. The holiness of God demanded a blood sacrifice to redeem them. Hebrews 9.22 And almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. So God gave. He gave us His best. He gave sacrificially. He that spared not His own Son but delivered Him up for us all how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? I've heard this phrase. Sacrifice is giving up something that you love for something that you love much more. Then I want you to see the shining star of missions in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's the shining star of missions. It's all about Jesus. Revelations 22.16 I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. It's all about Christ. I had mentioned in the Sunday school hour that I only formally went to the sixth grade. I said, I'm kind of like Jethro the Beverly Hillbillies, you know. And so I'm always trying to increase my vocabulary. My wife has a college education, so she helps me quite a bit. But several years ago, I learned a new word, and that word is Christocentric. You know what the word means? Christ in the center. It's all about Jesus. Cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. If you can't find Christ in every book, in every chapter, there's something wrong. It's about Christ. And he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. You know, preacher, what our job is to lift up Christ. To lift him up virgin born. To lift him up with a sinless life. To lift him up making the blind see and the deaf hear and the mute speak and raising the dead to life. To lift him up crucified. To lift him up buried. But to lift him up risen from the dead and that he's coming back again. It's all about Jesus. He better be the center of all that we do about Christ. That's what this missions conference is about. Missionaries is about Christ. Praying, the giving, the serving, it's about Christ. He's the shining star of missions. He's that one of a kind, unique son of God. That's what only begotten means. 1 Peter 1.9, with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And John the Baptist said it best when he said, behold the lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Number six, I want you to see the statement of missions found in John 3.16, that whosoever believeth in him. That's the statement of missions. To whom does this verse speak? It speaks to the whosoevers. Aren't you glad that you're a whosoever? I love the whosoever verses. I'll read these quickly for the sake of time. John 4.14. 14, John 4.14. But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him, shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up until everlasting life. John eleven twenty six, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. John twelve forty six, I am come a light in the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Acts two twenty one, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts ten forty three, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name 
Whosoever believe in him shall receive remission of sins. Romans 10, 13 is probably one of the most popular whosoever verses. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Revelations chapter 22, verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that hear it say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. I'm so glad that we're all whosoevers. That if we understand our sin nature and that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that we can be that whosoever that have eternal life in the person of Jesus Christ. October 4th, 1980, I knelt down at the Loudonville Street Fair in my travel trailer as a whosoever, and I called upon the name of Jesus to save me, and he saved me at that very moment, and he dramatically changed my life and called me into ministry. I have no right to be here but for the grace and mercy of a loving God. We are the whosoevers. You are the whosoevers, but there are more whosoevers out there that need to hear about him. We have the message, don't we? Help me, church. Do we have the message? Then it's our responsibility to give it. You know, we talk about reaching Papua New Guinea, and we talk about reaching all the nations of the world, but you know what? What about your mom and your dad? Your son, your daughter? Your aunt, your uncle? Your grandchildren? Your grandparents? You want them to be saved, don't you? I'll testify this. I told it to somebody already. Um, my late wife was of a tribe, gypsies are, go by tribes. My late wife was of a tribe of gypsy called the Gurkuria, which just means the Greek gypsies. It's a large, influential tribe in America. I'm of a tribe of gypsy called the Risteste, only because our leader was a man by the name of Rista, so we were possessive of Rista, we're the Risteste. It's another large, influential tribe. I was the first of my tribe to be saved. My wife was the first of her tribe to be saved. In 1980, to be a Christian amongst the gypsies in the community was like being from a man from another planet, especially when we took a chainsaw to the fortune-telling sign. What the American flag is to you and I, the fortune-telling sign is to the gypsy. It's a symbol of their identity. We were ostracized from our culture, but we prayed. We lived the testimony of Christ being in our life, and they put us under a magnifying glass. They were watching every move that we were making, I said it, I think I said it in Sunday school, when, when their daughter's dresses were getting shorter, my daughter's dresses were getting longer. And they saw the stability of our marriage. But you want, here's the key of, of how we began witnessing to our families. Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Here's what's happened to the average, independent, fundamental KJV Baptist. You ready? Say, we're ready, preacher. We've lost our tear. We don't weep for souls anymore. I can remember, Pastor, when our altars were lined with boxes of tissues, where wives would pray for their husbands to be saved, and husbands for wives, and parents for children. We don't weep for souls anymore. But my wife and I wept for our families. We wept for them to be saved. We begged God and pleaded, lived the life of a testimony. And you know what? As they watched our lives, they lent us their ears. Because you can't get to someone's heart without going through the ear. Hello? The gospel enters here. And I led my father to the Lord. I led my mother. I led my brothers, my sisters, my aunts, my uncles, my late wife's entire family. Remember, we're the first. We're first-generation Christians. My wife's entire family, under the blood of the Lord Jesus, I have one uncle 
that's still lost, I'm still witnessing, I'm still praying, still weeping that he be saved. You can reach your families with the gospel. That's missions. It's not just around the world. It's in your home. It's where you work. It's where you go to school. It's where you buy your groceries. It's all about reaching the lost with the gospel. The statement of missions is the whosoever's. But being a whosoever is not enough because the statement of mission says believe. And they said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Then I want you to see in John 3.16 the salvation of missions found. What does it say? That they should not perish. Those who believe will be saved. Will be saved from what? Saved from their sins? Saved from death? Saved from the grave? Saved from Satan? And saved from hell? And that brings me to my last point. The security of missions in John 3.16. They shall not perish, but... Aren't you glad that that word but is there? But have everlasting life. Thank God for that little word, B-U-T. Because you know what it means? It means nevertheless... It means notwithstanding. It's an objection, an exception, a restriction. Nay, rather, yea, moreover, forms a transition to the cardinal matter, but have everlasting life. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a transition into the cardinal matter. The security of missions is that we are saved, and we are saved forever. Saved to heaven, saved to Christ, saved to our loved ones, who've gone ahead of us. What a mighty, powerful verse. John 3.16. Are we living up to it? Are we doing with it what God has mandated for it? Are we really spreading the gospel? You say, preacher, I I don't know how to witness. Learn how. (laughs) The Bible says in Psalm 107, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he's redeemed from the hand of the enemy. What do you have to say? Just tell people what God did for you. But you know, a lot of Christians don't really think they've been redeemed by the hand of the enemy. They don't think they've been in the hand of the enemy. You say, Brother Stephen, it's easy for you to say you were saved from the gutter of of a gypsy life. Well, may I remind you, church, we also come from the same gutter. It's called planet Earth. Didn't take holier blood, taller cross to save me than it did to save you. James says, if you offend in one area of the law, you're guilty of it all. In the economy of God, there's no such thing as big sin or little sin. It's all big sin. Why? Because it all crucified Jesus. And we all have the same responsibility as the redeemed of the Lord to say so. Just tell others what Jesus has done for you. That he's forgiven your sins, giving you the hope of heaven and eternal life. That's if you believe it. Maybe you're here today and you don't believe it. Maybe you really don't believe that you're that bad of a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Daniel says we've all been weighed in the balances that come up wanting. Isaiah says all we like sheep have gone astray. God loves you. God wants to save you. Maybe you're here today without Christ. I got good news for you. Just like I did on October 4th, 1980. I prayed and received the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. He's calling you unto himself. We extend invitation, but it's not our invitation. It's the invitation of Christ. He's the one who says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He's the one who says to come and dine, and he's the one who says to come and drink of the waters of eternal life. 
you can be saved at these altars today. Heads about and eyes are closed and no one's looking around. We've come to the part of the service that I really consider to be the most important part of the service. It's the invitation. Some call it the altar call. It's where we respond to what we've heard. What kind of response should there be today? Those who would come before the Lord on their knees praying for their lost loved ones. Lifting up their names one more time before the throne of God. God save my wife. God save my husband. God don't let my mother, my father die and go to hell. Don't let my son, my daughter burn. Don't let my grandchildren, Lord, burn in hell. Save them, Lord. That should be our prayer today. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior. You look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, but you know in your own heart it's just not real. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looketh upon the heart. I look around, everybody looks okay to me, but what does God say? Maybe you're here today and you need Jesus. And you'd raise your hand and say, Preacher, that's me. I need Christ. I need to be saved. Is there one like that? I want to pray for you. I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out by name. I don't know your name. I need Jesus. Is there one like that? I need to be saved. I want to pray for you. Is there one? Is there one? How many would raise their hand and say, Preacher, I have lost family, lost friends that need to be saved. Would you put your hand up all over the auditorium? Yes, many, many, many hands raised. Maybe you need to be on your knees this morning. How many would raise their hand and say, Preacher, God is dealing with me about serving him in a full-time capacity. I don't know all that he wants from me, but I know that he wants my life, and he wants me to serve him. Is there one like that? I'd like to pray for you. God's calling me. Yes, God bless you. I see that hand. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed, and no one looking around. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to turn the invitation over to the pastor. Father in heaven, you make things so clear in your word. If anything, we preachers muddy the waters. John 3.16. It's all there, Father. You put it all there for us. If we can't get that, I don't think we can get anything. Father, I've preached your word, and I know the Holy Spirit has done his job. I know that you promised your word will never return void. I pray that your people have been challenged to reach their own families with the gospel, reach out to their neighbors, and reach out across the seas to the regions beyond. Many hands raised, Father, of lost family members, lost friends. I know the pain of realizing that a family member is lost, but I also know the joy of seeing them come to the saving knowledge of Christ. I pray for each and every hand that was raised and those, that were, those who are praying about their lost family and friends, that they be saved. Give us back our tear, Lord. May we weep for the lost. And that one that raised their hand about full-time service, Lord, I pray that they would present themselves and listen to your call. We love you, Father. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name.